Bring a picture up for you, and I just want you to be brave and to shout out for me the first thing that comes to mind uh, when you see that this picture. Okay, can you do that? Is that all right? Yeah. Okay. Let's go for it. We can put the picture up. That'd be great. Braveheart, freedom! Yeah, freedom! I've got a bit of Scottish blood in me. Um, you might be able to tell that. My, my mum's Scottish, and, um, and so uh, that's probably where the ginger comes from. Um, but I always used to enjoy watching uh, Braveheart. Uh, but there's something about this scene, isn't there, that I think we all connect with. We don't have to be Scottish to, to connect with, with this scene. We connect with it because it captures something of the human heart. Built into each and, and every one of us is this longing for freedom. We were created to be free. And we hate the, the, the feeling um, of being, being trapped. We, we hate the feeling of being manipulated or controlled or limited. We hate the feeling of being restricted and, and held back from doing what we want to do or being the person that we want to be. We hate it. And, and in fact, I think, when, when I think about our greatest longings and our greatest needs, I think in one way or another they can all be summed up in this one word, freedom. I long for freedom. Freedom from insecurities and fears and worries that, that hold us back and that limit us from being the people that deep inside we, we really want to be, that, that cause us to struggle in how we relate to people to, to take on, on hurts and offense that was never intended, that, that destroys our confidence so that we don't feel able to express ourselves and to be the person that we want to be. Freedom from sickness and illness or disease that seems to just sap at our life and our energy and so frustrates us because we feel limited. We feel like we're a shadow of the person that we could be. Freedom from the past hurts that we carry with us and that fester away and that cause us to feel pain even now. Freedom from addictions and bad habits that we feel trapped in a cycle with and that just seem to control us and we just can't seem to escape from. Freedom from guilt or shame because of the wrong things that we've done or the mistakes that we've made or freedom from false guilt and false shame. Because of the things that we've believed, the lies that we've believed about ourselves. They've destroyed our self-worth, our self-confidence and our identity. In one way or another, I think we all long for freedom. And so when we see this scene with William Wallace, championing the cause and shouting, Freedom! Something stirs up within our hearts. And this is how I want to define freedom for us today. Freedom is simply the unencumbered opportunity to fully live as the person that God created you to be. Freedom essentially is to strip away everything that weighs you down, everything that limits you, everything that controls you and holds you back from enjoying the life that God created you to enjoy, from being fully alive as the person that God created you to be. But the good news is that just as freedom is our greatest need, so freedom is God's great purpose. Jesus came for the purpose of freedom. 
Freedom for you in your life and freedom for me in my life. I love the way that the Apostle Paul gets at this idea in the Bible. Um, He writes in Galatians 5 verse 1, he says, It is for freedom, for the purpose of freedom, that Christ, that Jesus has set us free. Jesus came and he died and he rose to a new life and he conquered death, all for the purpose of freedom. So that you and I could be set free. So that we could enjoy life as God intended it. So that we could enjoy relationship with him. So that we could be fully in him and alive in him and experience true, real freedom. And so this morning we're starting a new series simply called Freedom. And we're going to be exploring what that, what that looks like and how we can enjoy this freedom that we all long for. The freedom that God created us for. Why don't we watch a quick video together as an introduction to the series. That's the three phases we're going to be unpacking through this series. We're going to be talking about what it is to be set free. What it is to be a people who are living free. And what it is to be a people who are bringing freedom. That's what God has for us as a a people together. It's what God has for us as individuals. It's what God has for us as a church. So why don't we pray? And then I'm going to start talking about being set free. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that our greatest need matches your great purpose. I want to thank you, Lord, that your heart for us, your desire for us, is to be a people who enjoy freedom, who enjoy the life that you created us to have in relationship with you. I say, God, we just pray that as we begin to look at something of your truth, as we begin to look at something of what it is that you say within the Bible, that you would open our eyes, that you would stir up our hearts, that this would not just be a time of increasing in knowledge, but this would be a time where internally you were at work by your Holy Spirit setting people free. This would be a time, Lord God, where you are at work within our hearts and lives, empowering and enabling us to live free. And stirring our hearts up to be a people who look beyond ourselves at how it is that we can bring freedom to others. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you here this morning. Just pray that you would be at work amongst us. That it would be you who is speaking into the hearts and lives of every person here. In Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, great stuff.
So as we begin to look then at, at what it means to be set free, and we're going to be spending a, a few weeks on this, um, just being set free. But here's the thing to, to begin with. You know, we might all know that in one way or another, we have this longing within us for greater freedom. But while it's easy to know that there's something wrong, that there's something not quite right, that in some way we're not enjoying life to the full as God intended it for us, it can actually be difficult to put our finger on exactly why. And even if we've got some idea as to why, the chances are that when we've tried to do something about it, when we've tried to fix it, when we've made some changes, when we've made New Year's resolutions or new commitments, when we've done, read some self-help books or we've had some coaching from somebody or whatever it is, it might be that those things have helped for a little while, but at some point or another we've just found ourselves back in that same place again. With the same, struggling with the same bad habit or the same wrong thinking, and we end up frustrated and disillusioned because nothing's changed. And here's the thing, it's impossible to solve a problem if you don't understand what's causing it. It's impossible to solve a problem if you don't understand what's causing it. Um, I remember a few years ago, we went on um, holiday to um, a cottage in Devon, and as we drove there, the car had started developing this kind of creaking noise, um, and it was kind of in the in the front um, driver's side uh, of the car, and so I did what probably any other bloke would do. I pulled over the car, um, I got out, I bent down, had a look under the wheel arch at the suspension, I popped the bonnet, I kind of leant on the front of the car down at the engine, staring in at the engine compartment, trying to see what's wrong, uh, and then I closed the bonnet, And I made the decision I was going to call somebody. Because the reality was that I don't have a clue about cars. (laughs) And to be honest, I could have as well been looking in the glove box as the engine compartment for all the good that it would do me. But for some reason, we've just got to look as blokes, haven't we? You know, I would never be able to solve a problem with a car because I can't work out what's wrong. And even if I've got an idea of what's wrong, I would have absolutely no idea how to fix it. And why it is that that thing is wrong. And what it is that's causing it. And so this morning, it may be that you have a theory as to what it is that is holding you back and stopping you from being fully free. And it may be that you've tried all sorts of different things to to, to try and overcome it, but nothing has quite worked out. Nothing has quite hit the spot. And so what I want us to do together this morning is to come with an open mind and to look at what Paul says in the Bible. And what he gives us is the reason that we all have this, this longing for freedom and that what it is that he tells us is the cause of the problem. Why it is that we, we all kind of struggle with that need for freedom. And if you're wondering, why should I bother listening to Paul? What does he know that, how does he relate to my situation, my struggles, my feelings? Before we look at what Paul tells us about the problem, why don't we just read how he describes his own longing for freedom and his own struggles before we discover the solution and see if he's a guy that maybe we can relate to. This is what Paul writes in Romans 7 verses 15 to 16. It should pop up behind me as well. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Anyone relate to that? Anyone ever sat there and thought, I don't understand why I've just done that. Why I've done it again. I don't want to do it. I don't want to react and lose my temper in that kind of way. I don't want to give in to that temptation. but But it seems like even though I hate these things, 
I still do them. And then Paul says, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Do you know what? I think this could be any law. Pretty much. This could be the law of the Bible, but it could equally be the law of a a government, or it, it could even be just our own internal law. Our own sense of ideals as to what guides us, as to what is right and wrong, and what we should do. Because... Let's be honest, even if we put the Bible to one side, and even if we put what everybody else tells us to one side, you internally have a sense of right and wrong, and what you should do. And if you're honest with yourself, and if I'm honest with myself, sometimes, even though you know what you should do, you don't do it. You have an idea and you think, if I, if I just did this, and if I just did things in this way, then I would be a better father. Or if I, if I just chose to hold my tongue and not react in that kind of a way when people say things that upset me, I know that that would be better. Or if I, if I just did this, I'd be the, a better employee. I'd be the best employee that I could be or the best student in school that I could be or the best friend or the best husband or wife. Or if, or if I just did this as I know I ought to do, then I'd be healthier and I'd be looking after my body in a better way. And then it's like there's two of you. There's this one who has all these great ideas and things. If we did these things, life would be so much better. And then there's this other one of you that just decides, I'm going to ignore all of that. And I'm going to go off and do things differently. I'm going to do things my way. And you end up wasting time, getting caught up in temptations, caught up in pointless things and doing things that you know really you shouldn't do. Why is it? Why do we all have this internal battle just like Paul did? Why, like Paul, do we have this desire to do what is good, but we just can't seem to follow through on it? Why do we keep finding ourselves doing things that we know we we shouldn't do and failing to do the things that we know that we should do? And we get frustrated with ourselves and we say, like Paul did, I don't understand why I'm doing it. What's wrong with us? And do you know what? I don't think we need better instructions as to what to do. I don't think we need to read self-help books or to to get advice as to to what the right thing is to do. I think if we're honest, most of us know what we should be doing. We know what we shouldn't be doing. The problem is that we just don't know how to do it. And that's why there are so many self-help books out there. That's why people go on this search and this, this hunt to try and find freedom in all these different ways. Because we know we've got a problem. And we've got an idea as to what it is that we should do about it. But we just can't figure out how to do it. And if you can relate to any of that, then Paul understands what you're going through. He understands your struggles. He went through it himself. And so when he offers us an explanation as to why this is the case and what the solution is, I think we should sit up and pay attention. Paul is offering us an explanation as to why we feel trapped. Why we continuously struggle with the same things. Why we continuously struggle with the same internal battle with insecurities. Why we long for freedom and then he's going to offer us a solution. So this is what Paul writes in Romans 5, verse 6. He says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. When Paul talks about being powerless, 
he's talking about this situation that we've all just said that we relate to. Where we find ourselves doing things that we don't want to be doing and not doing the things that we want to be doing. We're powerless. And we're trapped and we need freedom. And it's when we're in this situation, while we're in this situation, that Jesus died for us. That Jesus died for the ungodly. And here's our our, our first potential speed bump. You see, in order for us to understand the problem we're dealing with, we have to start by acknowledging the reality that we're ungodly. And that's not a word that we'd normally kind of use, so let me explain it for a second. What Paul is saying is that God is perfect. He's like this over here. And you're not. So in the sense that you are unlike God, you are ungodly. You're not perfect, you get things wrong, you make mistakes. So admitting to being ungodly is not about saying I'm the worst possible person in the world. It's simply saying I'm not like God. Because I'm not perfect. I make mistakes and I know it. And the great thing with this is that it creates this level playing field for us because we're all ungodly. Every single one of us, I'm ungodly and you're ungodly. Whether you're sat there thinking that you're a pretty good person or whether you're sat there well aware of your faults and wondering if you should even really be in church because of them. We all sit here together and actually it's a level playing field. But the good news is that Christ died for the ungodly. And that might sound odd and Paul knows it sounds odd and so he goes on saying this in verses 7 and 8. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still ungodly, Christ died for us. This is how incredible God's love is for us. We don't have to clean ourselves up for him to love us. We don't have to sort our lives out for him to love us. It's while we're still sinners, while we're still ungodly, while we're still a mess, while we get it wrong, while we make mistakes, that God puts his love for us into action. And Jesus died for us on the cross. And this is an incredible statement for Paul to make. I mean, think about it for a second. Paul was alive when Jesus died on that cross. So when Paul makes this statement, this isn't just some airy-fairy theoretical thing. He's saying... While Jesus was being nailed to the cross, I was sat 40 miles away and I was sinning. I was ungodly. I was making a mess of everything in that moment when Jesus was being nailed to the cross. And he did that for me. Quite literally while I was his enemy. While I was in opposition to him. While I was speaking against him. He died for me. And for us, 2,000 years later, it means that when Jesus died, he died for your past sins, but he also died for the ones that you're making here and now, and he died for the ones that you're going to make in the future. And God knows all of those wrong things, and, and he is aware of all of it, and he looks on you. And his love for you is so incredible that he was still moved to die in your place, even in the midst of all of that. Christ's love for us is just so amazing. And it's so great news that despite all of the mess that we make with our lives, God loves us so much 
that he would put that love into action. Well, the question's still there. Paul hasn't got around to answering it yet, has he? Why? Why do we do it? Why do we do these things that we know we shouldn't do and not do the things that we know we should do? Why do we find ourselves reacting to people in ways that we don't want to and that we know are wrong? Why are we, do we feel powerless to do anything about it? Why are we ungodly and in this kind of trapped place? And so Paul goes on in Romans 5 verse 12 where he says this. He says, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And it's almost like Paul loses his train of thought. And just leaves this massive statement hanging there in the air. But this point that he's making is so important. And here's what he's saying. And this is, gets a little bit complicated, but just try and stick with me. I want you to think about sin for a moment like a noun and not a verb. You know, a verb is something that we do. It's an action. Whereas a, a noun is just a thing that exists. So what I want you to, to think of when you're thinking of sin as, as a thing, is that once upon a time, this thing, this sin, this disease, it wasn't in the world. And then sin entered the world. And this thing, this sin entered the world through one man. And Paul's going to go on to talk about uh, how this happened through Adam. When Adam sinned, when Adam first did something that he knew that he shouldn't do, just like we do all the time. Sin entered the world like a disease. And this is so important for us to understand because Paul doesn't just describe sin as a verb, as something that we do as an action But he describes it as this thing that almost results in those actions. There is sin, the noun, the thing that exists, this thing that results in the sinning that we of of the verb, the activity, the things that we do. And what Paul wants us to understand is that the reason that you've not been able to change one of the One of the the reasons that you've been trapped in in this struggle, in this cycle of of bad habits or wrong thinking or insecurities or whatever it is, nothing isn't anything about what it is that you do or that you tell yourself. And no matter what you do and what you tell yourself, you don't seem to be able to get out of it. It doesn't seem to help. It doesn't seem to address it. And it doesn't address it because we're constantly trying to address the verb. We're trying to address the activity, the thing that we're doing. And we've never actually addressed or dealt with the now. And then Paul says this sin, this thing, this power, this disease entered the world through one man. And on the heels of sin came death. And, and you've experienced this. Because you know in your life when you've had a, a bad habit or an addiction. Or when you've been trapped in wrong thinking. You've seen how death has followed you. You've seen how the consequences of that have followed you. And how it's destroyed and broken relationships and killed relationships. How it's messed up your finances or your career. And so Paul says wherever sin goes, death follows. Death is right behind it. It's on its heels. And this is more than, uh, more, uh, this is about more than just the reality that, that bad consequences follow bad decisions. You staying with me so far? Okay. Paul is saying that long ago there was just Adam. 
let's say this is Adam. Hello, Adam. Good to meet you. Long ago, there was just Adam. And because of Adam, he was because he was the first man, there's a sense in which we were all in Adam. We all come from Adam. And so what Adam did, we all did. Because we were all in Adam. And so when Adam did something he knew he shouldn't do, and sin entered the world because we were all in Adam and all come from Adam, we all ended up in sin. Just imagine for a moment. This is Batman. I want you to imagine for a moment that this is not Batman, but this is me. I may secretly dream of being Batman, but that's beside the point. Just imagine for a moment, this is Adam. And Adam is in sin. So everybody who comes from Adam, everybody who comes from the the same situation, comes out of Adam, is in sin. It's like this hereditary disease, which is passed on from generation to generation. So here's me. And I was born in sin. And pretend this is my wife Rosie. And I'm sorry to say, Rosie, you too were born in sin. And then we'll, we'll, we'll take maybe John and Becky Townley. Oh, couldn't possibly be. Surely not John and Becky Townley. No, they too were born in sin. Mother Teresa, she was born in sin. Every single one of us, not one person escapes. We're all born in sin. Everybody who has ever lived was in Adam. And so in sin. And so when sin contaminated and corrupted and polluted Adam, sin contaminated and corrupted and polluted the entire human race. And so your key problem that leads to your struggles with bad habits, your key problem that leads to your insecurities and your wrong thinking, your key problem as to why you have this longing for freedom which just can never seem to be satisfied is because you were born polluted and contaminated by sin. And so was everyone else. And we see the reality of that when we watch babies grow. And we don't have to teach them how to be selfish or to do things wrong. It just happens. And we we might sit there and think, what happened to my darling little angel? And Paul says, I know. It's sin. And that's why as we grow up, we all realize at some point that it's as if there is this thing in me that I can't seem to control. And I end up doing the things that I don't want to do. And I don't do the things that I do want to do. And I just don't understand it. And I feel trapped and I just long for freedom. That's Paul's explanation for the struggles that we all face. The death, the death came to all people. That we all lost our freedom and became trapped. Because we all sinned in Adam. Then he goes on and he gives us some good news in Romans 5 verses 15 to 19 where he says this. He says, but the gift is not like the trespass. So the gift that God gives us is not like the wrong thing, the sin that Adam did. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? 
Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned. So because of the wrong thing that Adam did, because sin entered the world through that, death reigned, we came, all came under the control and the corruption and the contamination and the pollution of sin through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So Paul introduces to us Jesus. Hello, Jesus. And he says, do you want to know who can satisfy your longing for freedom? Only Jesus. Because just as you were all born into Adam, into sin which has held us captive. When you become a Christian, when you choose to to put your trust in Jesus, when you choose to follow him, you're taken out of Adam and you're placed in Jesus, into Christ. And he's saying the contrast between being in Adam and being in Christ is so powerful and practical and real that you don't want to miss it. He's saying when, you, when you, you make this decision to follow Jesus, the good news is, is not just about being forgiven and being assured of an eternity in heaven. As amazing as that is, there's so much more to it than that. Paul is, is here. He's trying to answer this question. Why is it that I feel trapped? Why is it that I don't do what I want to do, that I do do what I don't want to do? Why is it that it feels like there's this thing that overrides my will inside? And when I know it will hurt people, I know it will be bad for me, I know it will, I'll regret it, but I go ahead and do it anyway. And where can I find freedom from that? And Paul is saying that this struggle is because we are in sin. And having been born in Adam, but that the gift that is an offer to us is a gift of freedom when we are in Christ. It's the gift of being declared right before God. It's the gift of receiving God's amazing grace to empower us and enable us to live life enjoying freedom. It's the gift that enables us no longer to be trapped and feel like we're under and ruled by temptation and we're we're reigning over us and these insecurities and hurts reign over us and limit us. But instead, Paul says in his words that we get to reign in life. That no longer does it reign over us, but we reign in life here and now through the one man, Jesus Christ. You see, we all know what it looks like, don't we, to live like this. To have those struggles. To feel like we can't do what we want to do and to make mistakes and do things that we know we shouldn't do. But Paul is saying the great news is that the implication of being in Jesus, of being in Christ, is not just for the future when you die that you get an eternity in heaven. It's that here and now, in the life that you live, there is life transforming freedom available. And this isn't about just trying harder. 
It's about coming to understand that as we follow Jesus, God gifts us with an entirely new identity. He changes the very core of our being. He places you into Christ. And he gives you a brand new way of being able to live, a brand new mode of operation in life. God has given us everything in Christ to transform us from living in sin in this trapped way. Under the power of sin, with death reigning over us, for us to move from that place, for us to reign in life. And it might be that this morning you were sat there and you were thinking, that all sounds really nice, but I've been a Christian for a long time and I still have those battles and I still have those struggles and I still feel trapped. I still battle with the same insecurities. I still can't follow through on what I know is right. And the simplest way that I can, I can try to explain it is to imagine that you were born in a prison cell. And you grew up in a prison cell. And all you'd ever known in life was these four walls and this one set of dirty clothes and the dingy food that was brought to the prison cell. You hated it. You were trapped. You longed for freedom. You knew it wasn't right. You knew that there was so much more to life than this, but you couldn't do anything about it. But at the same time, it was familiar. It was all that you'd ever known. And then one day, someone comes along and they open the door. And they put down new clean clothes. And they tell you, you're free to go. In that one instant, in that one moment, your identity has changed from being a prisoner to being free. In an instant. You've been given everything that you need to step into freedom. But then begins the long, hard process of learning a whole new way of living because the only thing you've ever known is these four walls. Prison is all that you've ever known. In the prison, you know how things work. In the, in the prison, you know you, that someone at least will bring you food. It might not be pleasant, but it's familiar. It's comfortable. Leaving means stepping into, into the unknown. It's hard. And as we go through this series, we want to talk about what that looks like. What it looks like to step into that freedom that is available. That freedom which God has gifted to us. What it means to be set free and to have this change of identity. What it means to be a person who is living free. And how we can become a people who are bringing freedom. Because we can be set free in an instant. We can be taken out of here and put here in an instant. Given everything that we need in an instant. But it takes time learning to trust God. It takes time allowing God to bring healing. It takes time allowing God to open our eyes to see the world in a different way and to see people in a different way. It takes time to learn how to live His way. And surrendering to him all of the things that we know deep down aren't good for us but are so familiar. And that's the journey with God that leads to real freedom. And sometimes it can be hard. 